Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Welcome everyone to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. We have a very special guest with us. She's a graduate of the Empower Secure Love program, and she has so many things that she's going to share with us today. I'm really excited. Welcome, welcome, Allie Hall. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I know we've wanted to do this for quite some time, so it's finally happening. Um, I want to tell the audience just a little bit about you, so I'm going to read your bio real quick. So this is Allie, and she's known as the debt-free nurse. That's her handle on Instagram, too. She's 34 years old, from California, living in North Carolina, working as a pediatric nurse, and she also specializes in guilt-free money management, teaching women their core values and how to change their mindset and relationship around money. My, her mission is to help women own the hell out of their finances so they can say yes to things they love and no to the things they don't. I love it so much, Allie. Thank welcome, you. welcome. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have enough. Oh gosh, there's our four-legged friend. That's okay. Yes. I'm sorry. I knew they were going to no, do that. You're fine. <laughs> they always do that whenever we start recording, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, we don't talk enough about money on the show. So I'm really happy that you and I are going to get into that. I did want to just start with how you found yourself going through the empowered, secure love program. And just a little bit about your story about relationships. And we know those same beliefs that you had that impacted you about relationships also impact us about money. Um, but I just want to start there with your relationship healing journey and kind of what it was like for you going through the program. Okay. So I'm going to try to make this like as quick as I can, but, um, I'm very open about this on my Instagram and I talked about it pretty quickly after it happened. Um, but I moved to North Carolina in 2015, met my ex-husband in couple months later, like in May of 2015, and we moved in together probably a year and a half after that. Um, a lot of that had to do with money. Um, I was not in a good place with money. I was like, oh, if, you know, if I could just cut my expenses down and like live with someone. So we kind of pushed that. And um, that's kind of where my money journey started, which is, we'll come back to that. Um, but we we're together for six years. We got engaged at three years. So like the whole like thing that you're supposed to do, like together for three years, engaged, engaged for a year, planned the wedding. Um, and then got married, didn't have a huge wedding, didn't spend a ton of money. I was really conscious about that. Um, but I kind of felt like I was doing a lot of it on my own, kind of looking back. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff that now looking back, I now see that I <laughs> didn't see before. Mm -hmm. Um, but it seemed to be like the perfect relationship of like, you know, this person like was my protector and it was the best relationship I had had. I had had some like terrible relationships in high school and then in college. And it was just not, it just was something different that I like felt that, you know, it was moving towards that. And, um, we got married. Um, we were together for two more years and, um, my whole world turned upside down. I, to make this story very short, um, came home from work. Um, my ex was deployed at the time and he came home from deployment early. And that day that I came home, I took a nap and woke up and he goes, we need to talk. And without like any warning, anything decided that he didn't want to be married, didn't want to have kids. Um, and actually don't know if I've shared this exact story. So this is the first time I'm probably saying it out loud, like to the world. Um, and like my heart's beating really, really fast. Um, but yeah, so it was a very like, the universe was like, okay, this is done. Um, I didn't there wasn't much discussion about it. Um, I went home the next day. I took two weeks of PTO. Um, so it really was nothing that I was expecting. So like totally rocked me to my core because it was something like I came from a divorced childhood. That was the worst way that you could do that to me. Like just doing it all oh, at once. Blue. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have so much compassion for you. And I just want to say thank you for sharing this. I know that there's people listening who can really relate to what you shared. And I just know the relational trauma of that, of those, those fears of abandonment and then going through something like that. Um, I just know how painful that must've been. So, so thank you for sharing it. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So that all happened. Um, I, did a lot of soul searching afterwards. Um, I started breath work. I started therapy again. Um, I really worked on what I thought was the abandonment wound at that time because I, that was, that was my biggest childhood wound. And it was like it coming back up as an adult <laughs> in a different way. Um, and so I thought I'd had dealt with that as a kid and apparently it was just coming back up again. Um, so probably 10 10 to 12 months later, I did a retreat, um, an energy healing retreat in Sedona. Um, so like did a whole bunch of like mindset work, um, dove into a bunch of books, um, did as much like work as I could. And then, um, in a weird kind of like timeline, met a friend when I moved back to Raleigh, where I'm living now, um, who had connected with you. And then she'd asked me to be on her podcast. We met, um, she kind of knew like my story. She ended up going through my program and then, um, I started following you and this was probably, I think last year. Or so mm -hmm. two ish years after I'd been divorced, um, and had gone through all of that, um, had just started dating someone new and new things were coming up that I thought I dealt with and <laughs> new person, new things. Um, and I was listening to, I like was binging all of your podcasts on the way to work. And, 
um, there was one episode that really hit me and I forgot her name and we had talked about it on my first call um, with like, but anyways, um, so it was a story that really resonated with me kind of similar to what happened with me and my ex. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like her story is like, yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah. So that same thing, very, very similar. Yes. So I was like, I need to do this program. So that's when I decided that I was going to do your program. And that's kind of like how I got into your program. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's so much there, Allie. And I, I once again, really appreciate you being vulnerable with us. I know the listeners really appreciate it as well. And thinking about you had had these childhood experiences and then you found yourself in this relationship and experiencing the abandonment. And it's one of those things where a lot of us think we've dealt with stuff and then we realize, Oh wow. You know, I'm kind of repeating some patterns here, which is repetition compulsion, which we talk about so much in the program. Yep. Um, and then you going through the soul searching thinking that, okay, you know, I've, I've moved on, but then you start dating. Mm -hmm. And isn't that true? When we start dating again, that's when we realize, okay, there's still some stuff. Yeah. What were you noticing when you were dating? Like what was coming up for you that, that made you go, okay, I'm not fully ready. So a lot of the, a lot of the anxious attachment stuff, I had tried to read the book attached and then like going through the program or even before I had like started the program with you, um, I knew that I was anxious, anxiously attached. I didn't want, I really liked the, per, and we're still together, but like, I really liked the guy that I was dating and I didn't want to go into the same patterns as I had with, you know, my previous relationship. I wanted this to be a different relationship. Um, I wanted to know, like learn how to communicate and like have a healthy relationship. And I was, I think I started... I got divorced at 32. So I didn't want to be like 35 and still having these terrible relationships. And I was like, what a perfect time to, you know, actually become more attached, like securely attached with this person that I'm dating. And if it's the right person, then that's fine. And if it's not, then I will be able to have the tools to, you know, be okay and not have this be this detrimental thing that I have to deal with again and then have to pick myself back up and go through it again. (laughs) What a powerful decision of, hey, I can't necessarily control how he shows up or what happens in the relationship, but I do want to focus on what I can control, which is how I'm showing up so that whatever happens in this relationship, I know that I worked on me and I, I did my best to show up securely attached. I love that. You're fine. We, we love dogs on this podcast. They love to talk. Every time I answer the phone, they're like, (laughs) they just, they just want to be part of the show. They do. Um, so, so you went through the program. I, and I always love asking people this because everyone has different, breakthroughs as they go through it. Can you share with me what some of your breakthroughs were? So I do feel like instead of being so just, and I was thinking about this on the way here, instead of being so dysregulated while dating and while being with someone, I kind of felt myself 
feeling more okay with the ebbs and the flows. Um, I still feel myself pushing people away at times and I'm working on it in therapy and realizing that there are times where because of the abandonment wound, I want to push people away and Mm -hmm. just like leave them before they leave me that and that story still comes up. So just like recognizing when it's the old story versus like, is what is the situation for what it really is. And so really just like re-regulating myself, that was one huge thing that I started doing after the program. Um, And then I also learned how to ask for help too. I normally would have just gone through the program and, and got, I got stuck at, there were some things that I was working on in therapy that my therapist at the time was telling me, like, you can't do some of those exercises until you've gone through these trauma things. And I worked with, um, is it Dalma? Yep. Um, I worked with her a lot and we got me into, I got on a waiting list for EMDR and I really just like put all my effort in like doing what I could with the program while also dealing with some of the stuff with the EMDR. And what's really funny is my therapist now was like, you could have done all that. You didn't like as much as you like needed someone to like go through with you to do to like process those things. Like I think my my old therapist just didn't know how to process that trauma that maybe would have come up like while doing the exercises. And I have since gone back and done some of the exercises that brought up. So it was more like the letters and stuff like that. And it was more like with my past past. So like with things that I haven't really dealt with and like boxes that have been closed for years. Um, But I think pairing your program with the EMDR and really just like having Dalma help me and like, what can you, what can you do right now while you're waiting to get, you know, into EMDR that can like help you while you're doing EMDR too. So that was really, really good. I love that you brought this up. It's so funny. And this is kind of like a random tangent, but I'm actually looking into EMDR training for myself and all the coaches, Mm -hmm. um, because I have heard time and time again, that it's really helpful when paired with our program. So Um, there's a lot of people that have done that pairing. So I want to just bring that in house so that we can, we can do that for people too, as they go through the program. So anyways, Mm -hmm. random, random side note, but I think what's so interesting is sometimes we think that we need someone else or, or we had, like you had a therapist that said, Oh no, you know, you need, you need someone to process this with. Mm -hmm. But there's actually so much empowerment and so much healing in learning how to process it yourself and showing Mm -hmm. up for you and learning that self-soothing and learning, hey, I can open this part of my past that's been closed. I can open it and I can feel my emotions and get through it myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying there? Like how empowering that is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, you know, a lot of people go through the program and they end up, they end up learning that like they're, they're scared of things and then they go through it and they're like, Oh, I can get through this. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's kind of where you are now of doing some of those exercises on your own and being like, Hey, I can handle this. I trust myself to get through this emotionally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
I love that. I love it. What was that like for you writing the letters, like going through? Because that's a big, a lot of people in the program say that's like one of the hardest parts of the program. So I'm curious, what was that like for you? So I still have not done the one to, I'm going to hate saying this because I'm hoping he'll never listen to this, but the, I still haven't done the one to my dad, um, which is like where I think a lot of my trauma unfortunately comes from. Um but I did write it to my ex and I've actually written one to myself as well um, as like another um, and kind of forgiving. It was something my therapist had said to do is like forgiving myself um, and also like writing out um, just like forgiving myself and also like letting go of like the, the future I thought I had with that person, which really ties in with the letter to my ex-husband. Um, so I did the letter to that, my ex-husband first, and it was really hard. Um, because as someone who didn't get to say a lot of the things I wanted to say, um, it was good to get it on paper and like, let that go. And I actually burned the letter afterwards. Um, and then writing the letter like to myself and, and, you know, releasing that future that I thought I had and like the future of like having the kids at a certain age and like, you know, get, not wanting to get married again and like thinking that I was going to be with this person forever. Um, I think that was really powerful. And I, I just think that as hard as it is to write those letters and it like, I feel like a lot of times I get really stuck, like sitting there and being like, well, what should I write? Or like a lot of the the exercises I'm like, well, like, what should I do? And like, just really like getting out of my head and just writing whatever comes to my mind, even if it's not like what I don't think is right. It was the same problem I've had with like breathwork and meditation as like doing it right, which is kind of a random thing to bring up. But it's like, I feel like a lot of people who are perfectionists or even like nurses, we are very type A perfectionists and we want to do things the right way. And there's no right way to heal. It's just whatever you feel, you can just write it on the paper and you don't have to like get an A in your program and be like, if it, you have to do it this way, otherwise that's not right. And getting over that, I think was another huge breakthrough too for me. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is a constant theme when coaching people in the program of saying, Hey, there's, there's no perfect way. It's all about just showing up and being honest and being vulnerable um, and continuing to show up. And that perfectionism, right? When we're, when we're showing up in life with perfectionism, it just keeps us so stuck. Mm -hmm. And I, it keeps us disconnected, doesn't it? Because we can't just be our real vulnerable, authentic selves. We're just trying to play it safe. So we end up not showing up with all the parts of ourselves and I, I think obviously it comes from childhood. It comes from mm -hmm. some belief in order to be loved, I have to be perfect. I'm yep. curious, what, what, what belief do you think it was for you that, that brings up the perfectionism? That I was only loved when I was accomplishing things. It's one of the things I've actually worked on through EMDR is like, um, I only get attention or I only get love if I'm accomplishing things. So like I was a really good swimmer. I swam for 20 years. I swam in college. I missed Olympic trials by 
less than a tenth of a second. Wow. So like I was a very, very good swimmer and I would always ask for reassurance. I would turn to my coach and be like, was that good? I would turn to my parents and be like, did I do good? Or like, I would negotiate with them to get stuff, which we can talk about later, which comes into my like buying. Um, Yes. And like when I would make a certain time, I would like negotiate and be like, oh, well, can I get this thing if I, so I really felt like I just got like attention and things. And if I was perfect or if I, you know, was good at things or got good grades or So I think it was really that story um, and kind of just releasing it and saying like, Mm -hmm. my opinion matters. And we reframed like that old story of like everyone else's opinions matter more than mine. And their, their idea of how I'm doing or asking for the external validation doesn't matter as much as if I am proud of myself because For a long time, I probably couldn't even tell myself that I was proud of myself. But as a kid, I was seen as cocky or like confident. And I think people saying those kind of things as a kid too just kind of knocked me down. And I was like, well, I can't be that way because people don't like me if I'm myself or confident. And I just think that it took me a really long time to like get back to myself of like, I don't really care if people don't like me. I would rather like myself and be confident and know who I am than change myself so that other people may or may not like who I am. Oh, so it's so, so powerful what, what you're talking about. And it's that rewiring of your brain, telling a new story. And I think you and I both know that no matter how much work you do, there's always going to be moments where that old story comes up Mm -hmm. all the time. Right. And how beautiful is it to say, well, I have a different option. I have a different story I can tell. And in those moments, choosing to align with the new story. Mm. Um, So I I love that you share that. And I think there's so many people listening who can relate to that belief of my worthiness is connected to my ability to achieve my ability Mm -hmm. to be productive. We live in a society I feel like Europe does this so much better. Like I I, was, I lived abroad in Spain and it was like, oh, you know, you just spend the afternoon with your family and you're eating meals and you're strolling around the square. And it's like, it just, it has a different um, feel. But here in the United States, so much pressure on achieve, do, go. What are you doing? You know, it's, it's just mm-hmm. like, if you pair that along with a childhood where you receive praise for when you achieve, it's a recipe for my worth is connected to my ability to achieve. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you, that you've done the work in the program, that you've continued to also use other, you know, using therapy and EMDR. Um, how do you, how do you feel now compared to when you started the work? That's like one question. And the other would be, what would you say to someone who's maybe gone through a divorce and they're really scared and they know they need to do something, but they also just want to avoid it. Um, I would ask you those questions. So I definitely feel more confident and less, like I said, dysregulated 
when it comes to like conflicts or things that aren't going well in my life. Um, I know right now I'm in a season of like change and un, I don't know, like there's just so many moving pieces and things where the universe is like, I don't know if you need to go that way or like what's going to happen. And I'm just really glad that I have the tools now to like sit back and deal with what's going on instead of just sitting in my frustration and being upset. Mm -hmm. Um, Even through like my shoulder surgery that I had a couple months ago, um, I was super depressed. I felt like a lot of those stories were coming back because a lot of my self-worth for a long time was tied to my working out and, you know, being able to like lift certain weights and do certain things. And it's really been good to have those new stories to kind of fall back on and um, go through like I'm going through a book right now it's like called the self-love something Um, but it goes through like each chapter is pretty short and gives you tangible tools for um, really just practicing self-love and I was like I really need this after and then going back through your program and you know doing the morning alignment which was really helpful and I just feel like once you start, you'll pick up little bits and pieces of things that you can use as tools and like put in your toolkit of things that like when life happens, that you'll be able to transition and like be okay with those new stories instead of like when those pop up, the old stories pop up that you'll still have to like reach in your toolbox and be like, okay, I have this, like, this is what I need for this time. Um, So that would kind of answer that first question. And then honestly, anyone who's going through a divorce for any type of reason, um, really just sitting back and taking the time to take care of yourself and to get all of your things in order, whether it's your mental health, your physical health, um, your finances. I was really lucky that I had paid off all of my debt before this had all happened. And I was saving money at the time. I had gone through that whole phase of like wanting to be really good with finances and like starting to invest and to really just like take ownership and control and create those good habits. Um, So then transitioning as a single person back to living by myself and having to take on all those bills again um, was a struggle, but I was able to do that easily without having it impact my mental health. And I could deal with the things that I needed to deal with at the time. Um, and really just having a support system, whether it's going through your program or having friends that that will take you to lunch and like talk to you about what's going on. And, um, just, just having that support while you're going through it is huge. Um, and then also just learning what went wrong. And so for me, I don't blame him anymore. I more blame the situation and like what I could have done differently and just using it as a learning lesson from now on is like, how do I pick my partner? What do I need to be working on so that I can be the best partner And something I've really been telling myself right now is like, I really want kids, but maybe I don't have kids yet because I'm still working on 
stopping the generational, you know, trauma and the things that were okay for our, our parents to do. And I want to be a different parent and I want my kids to live a different life and have different stories. And I need to be ready for that. And maybe I wasn't ready then. And just trying to tell myself different stories and, you know, really just like living in the now and how can I better prepare myself later and like be in a more healthy relationship as opposed to like what I was in before. So I hope that kind of answered your question. No, that was, I think that was so helpful. And I love the, the piece too. At one point you said, you know, you just have to kind of get started, like take care of yourself, just start. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people wait so long because they're looking for the perfect thing and they overanalyze what they should do. And it's like, no, just, just start taking care of yourself. Just start today. Tune in and ask yourself, what do you need? Make the space in your life to tune in and and care for yourself. Right. Um, I love, I love that you talked about that. Um, and then this, this financial piece, which I do want to transition into because I want to spend some time there. Um, but, but thinking about how having financial health, especially as a woman, how that can really empower you in making the decisions. I I think about it in an attachment lens still from a securely attached place. When we feel secure financially and emotionally, we get to make the decisions that feel best to us Mm -hmm. instead of making decisions out of fear. Yeah. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder too, if I would have been in a different financial situation, would I have seen my partner before from a different lens being securely attached, number one, and also having more security in my finances and maybe not moving in and rushing that and not being so dependent upon that maybe wouldn't have led to getting married. And obviously you can't live in the past, but I wonder, I wonder if that would have been any different if I would have started my, my journey and would have been more securely attached to my money. And it's, it's so, and I know I really wanted to just ask you about this because I know you and I have very, you know, shared beliefs on this subject around our financial health and our emotional health, our, our feelings of worthiness they tie directly to our bank account, yes. you know, to our financial health. So, um, I guess for you, I'm just curious about what you've noticed there on your own journey in terms of your emotional healing and how that impacts your financial well-being. So I think the first thing, um, that I, I don't remember what I think I'm trying to think of what book that I read something similar to this in, but one of the first big things that I think really changed my mindset too around like having, if we're talking about debt and money, because a lot of people struggle with debt is I asked myself what my debt allowed me to do before I paid it all off because I had such a negative belief around debt and money. And I felt like I, there are other um, people in the financial space who believe that you shouldn't have any debt and that it's terrible to have debt and there's good and bad debt. And just all these like words that we put towards debt and money. And I think 
really just giving yourself the permission to like ask that question of what did my debt allow me to do? Did it allow you to go to school? Did it allow you to get out of an unhealthy relationship? Did it allow you to, you know, get through a time that you otherwise couldn't have got through? Um, Did it help you raise your kids? Did it, there's just so many things and like so many reasons why people go into debt. And it's not just because they're lazy or stupid or like they didn't know, like, and I think that does a lot of harm to people when we don't look at it that way. When you have the negative beliefs and the shame beliefs yes. around debt, then you won't even look at it and, mm-hmm. and you won't be able to work on it. Um, mm-hmm. I love Amanda Francis. You know, I'm, I know you I like know her. her. Yeah. <laughs> she says, debt is a decision to pay things off over time. That's all it is. It's just a decision to pay things off over time. And I look at my life, Allie, and holy cow, you know, the decision to get a PhD in clinical psychology, if you asked most, most financial people, they would have said that was a horrible decision, but it's supported me so much. And mm-hmm. even when I started my business, I had to put business coaching on a credit card. And I can tell you, I would not be where I am today if I had not done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at all the women in, in our program too, who end up enrolling and, and they use a credit card and that was the right decision for them to go into debt because it's what they needed. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I'm just so happy that we're talking about this because there are so many negative connotations about it in society and people carry around guilt and shame. And it's, it's just what you said. It's like, what did it allow you to do? Mm-hmm. And it makes it easier to pay it off too, because you're like, okay, I don't have this negative mindset around it. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to feel so like icky about looking at it or feel like it's this big, like monster that I can't tackle. It's like, you look at it at a lens of like through love instead of, and self-compassion instead of looking at it like from this negative And it's the same way that you look at your finances or making the big scary leap to invest in yourself or invest in the stock market or um, do any of those things. Like I'm trying to think of, I always have like good quotes and then I'm like, I forget where they come from. Um, But just, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Um, Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, Okay, we can skip. I'll just, it'll come back to me. You're, you're <laughs> like, good. I was you're going, good. I had something yeah. good and then. No, I think like it's just, and even when we look at our relationships, you know, and of course I, I think about this, when we go back to the relationship inventory and we look at all of your past relationships, when you can look at it through a lens of self compassion and love mm-hmm. and understanding and knowing that's what I knew to do at the time and I was doing the best I could. You're so much better able to move forward and have a blank slate. And it's the same with finances. It's that, that compassion piece. Cause if we don't have that, then we're not going to deal with it. And just as you said, it's that big, scary monster shame. And then things feel like they're out of control and so many people spiral, you know, but having that, that attitude of, 
self-compassion, understanding, knowing you did what you did at the time. It was the best you could do. Right. And it just allows us to heal. Acceptance leads to healing in all areas of our life. Mm-hmm. And I think money is something that we can't avoid because it's something you interact with on a daily basis. And so really just taking that shame and fear and guilt out of that and looking at it and being like, okay, this is what my plan is. This is what I'm doing. And then also I feel like most people spend more when they're unhappy and when they want something that maybe someone else doesn't have, or they feel like they're stressed. Like I know a lot of nurses who have really terrible shifts and they will think that they deserve to buy certain things because they had such a stressful shift or even like people who will go out to eat after work because they're like, I'm just so stressed. And like, I just, I just need to do this. And I think when we're more regulated and we are more in tune with like how we feel as opposed to kind of like putting a bandaid on it and saying like, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to just spend instead. I think that's also a huge way to improve your spending because if you just go with the avoidant, just like in the attachment styles, if you're going to be avoidant, then you're never going to actually deal with the actual problems that you have, or you're never going to deal with you know, the actual amount that you have. So you're like, I'm just going to keep spending and not deal with the fact that maybe you're burnt out and tired and yeah. you need a break and you need to stop working so much or you need to take a vacation. And I think the people that are less avoidant are more consistent with how they manage their money and they're less even keeled too. And it's not like this, like anxious or avoidant attachment to the money. It's more of just like a, like we talk about, yeah, it's more secure in your finances. Yeah. It's so funny. I think about my own spending habits and I know there'll be times if I had like a crazy long day and, you know, 10, 12 hour day for me occasionally. And, um, and then I find myself on Amazon and I'm like, (laughs) why am I on Amazon? And and now I have the awareness and I can say, you know what? I just need to go to bed. Like how yes. often is it? It's like, dang, I actually just need rest. Like that, that's kind of what I, what I run into. And, and it's funny. It's like overspending, overeating, overwatching Netflix, overexercising. Whenever we do too much of something, it's really a form of, of numbing, of not mm-hmm. feeling our emotions, just like you're talking about. It's a form of not having to actually feel what's going on inside. Um, and yeah, so many people find themselves there. instead of. And I wonder too, as a kid, if that's what I was seeing modeled as well, and maybe other people who do this as well too. So I had a really hard time feeling my feelings, like, or even naming. So like I had to get out the feelings wheel and like learn what what feeling meant what and like how I was feeling because we didn't talk about feelings when I was a kid. We weren't really allowed to have feelings. And so 
I did all of those things. And I think shopping was the biggest thing for me because that was what my mom liked to do and like what she would take us to do. And then Mm -hmm. what my dad would show as love was like gifts. And so I think if you resonate with that too, then maybe that's why you're spending as well, because maybe you don't know how to feel your feelings and your program and therapy and the feelings wheel have been super helpful. And like, how am I actually feeling and doing that inventory of like, what am I feeling? What's going on? Instead of grabbing my phone and like scrolling or, you know, watching TikToks or like watching these hauls that people do um, and wanting to just spend. It's so true. It's so true. And once again, that takes the discipline of making the space for it. And I'm reading Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key, right now. And he talks a lot about like making intentional space in our life to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really advise that book because it just helps in all areas of our life. But I think so many of us would just rather distract, numb, and it's not conscious, just like you're saying. It comes from early programming from when we're little of mm-hmm. watching people, watching the adults in our lives and how they deal with things. So we see it modeled and we internalize it. And that's what we learn to do. So once again, compassion, compassion, compassion. It's not like any of us, well, I, I know I didn't. We didn't have parents who sat us down and said, hey, when we're mm-hmm. upset, we should we should feel our feelings. We should deal with it. We should talk about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, I know that I watched a lot of unhealthy spending habits or, from my parents for sure. I can remember just, just like you said, like I remember some of my early memories with my mom were going to the mall mm-hmm. and it's not all bad, but it's like, when were we going to the mall when, when mom was upset? Mm-hmm. It's all those little tiny unconscious things that get modeled that we then internalize. Or something I've talked about before is like, as a kid, I asked my, I think it was my dad. I asked my dad, like how much he made just as a question. It wasn't like an ill will. It wasn't like rude. And I just remember getting like, why would you ask that? It's rude to ask people how much they make. Mm. And I think I'm really glad now that we're trying to destigmatize talking about pay and like pay transparency and all of that. Um, because I mean, for a long time, I just didn't think to negotiate or, you know, talk about pay or money because I was told it was rude and it's just money. It's not like this like secretive thing. Now you can like look online and be like, okay, the salary for this job is this. And I think again, when we look back and look at the stories that we have about money now. And it's something that I teach a lot in my programs and in my courses and stuff is we have to look back and see which of those stories that we had as a kid that are not serving us now that um, are in relation to money. We get to choose because we're the adult, right? We're not a little kid anymore. We don't have to keep Mm -hmm. telling ourselves those same stories of like, it's rude to talk about money. You know, money is a root of all evil. Like all of those stories that really don't serve us now. And to bring up Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, 
it really keeps our financial thermostat, like he says, low because as you make more money, if you haven't set your new thermostat higher, then you're going to give the money away. You're going to spend the money. You're not going to hold on to it because you don't feel like you deserve that. So if you think money is bad, then you're not going to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love you. You brought up that book. I'm going to just show everybody on YouTube. This is, this is my favorite money book. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker, uh, Mastering the Inner Game of Wealth. This book really did change everything for me when it, when it came to how I dealt with finances. I actually read it every year. I have a few books that I will reread every single year. This is one of them. Um, yeah, I read it like four years ago and it just, it had a huge impact on me. I'm curious, do you have any other books that you're like, it's an absolute must read for financial um, health. I didn't prepare you. That I was no, let me hold on. I think there's two. Um, so one, if you just want basics of money in like a very easy read, The Latte Factor by David Bach. Fantastic. The Latte um, Factor. I haven't heard of that one. Okay. It breaks down money in a very like simple way. It's something I used to give my one-on-one and my group program mentees. Um, just as like a really basic, like how money works. Um, and then another one, since I'm really into money mindset is, let me grab it really quick. Yeah, grab it. <laughs> I love this. I love that. I love that we're both book nerds. That's the way to be. Okay, I'm going to butcher his last name, but this is one that you actually have to read a couple times for it to, because it's very, not spiritual, but it's very, um, I don't know, better word for woo-woo. I know woo-woo is like not really a great word, Um, but it's called Happy Pocket Full of Money, Infinite Wealth and Abundance in the Here and Now, and it's by David Cameron Gekondi. Yes, it's so funny. And I, that is one is so um, fantastic. Yeah, people love love that book and I I think I actually ordered it and I haven't read it yet, but I think it's like on my nightstand, so So he has a lot of affirmations in here too, and I think affirmations are great, but something that also kind of was a game changer for me in aff- affirmations to like go on a tangent is um you have to tie an affirmation to an action. And I think you talk about this too. Yeah. Because I feel like we have a lot of the same, like going through your program, I was like, I teach a lot of this stuff, but as it applies to money. Yeah, it's um, a lot of the same underlying yeah. you know, rules of change. Yes. <laughs> um, and so one of like the biggest examples is if like you are super avoidant with your money, and you don't want to open your bank account, you feel really overwhelmed, is sitting down. If you drink wine or kombucha or whatever you want to get, sit down, open your bank account and say, I look at my bank account without fear and anxiety. 
And you have to keep doing that until you actually believe that you're looking at your bank account without fear and anxiety. There was and so time, really, yeah, there was a time in my life where that would have terrified me in my early twenties when I was a grad student and I was living on food stamps and, um, had eviction notices. And I, like in my early twenties, really, really struggled to look at my mm -hmm. finances. Um, so I know there's probably somebody listening who really needed that affirmation. So I'm so glad you shared it. And I love how it's like, it's not just the affirmation you're doing it. You're taking the action. You're, you're opening up your accounts. Because a lot of times too, we fear the unknown. And so obviously in your situation, it wasn't something that was like, you were just scared and it wasn't really your reality. It was definitely your reality. And so I think as your reality became that you had more money, mm -hmm. the affirmation actually came into life as you would say that. And so I think you also have to take affirmations with a grain of salt too, because not everyone is in yeah. the same financial situation, you know, has access to the same things. And it is just a good way to reprogram your brain. Um, and I think as you do it and say it, you'll be able to look for the positives and look for the proof that you actually have the money in there, whether it's like you're overspending or you had extra charges on there that you can call and negotiate there. You'll be, you'll be open to more things if you give yourself the proof. And I think a lot of people, it's the same thing with your relationship stuff. So if you don't give yourself the proof of this exists, then you'll never know. And this affirmation isn't going to work for you. And it, that's why you have to tie it to the action. You do. Yeah, exactly. Like we can say a healthy, securely attached, loving, kind partner is available to me. But if we just sit on our couch every night and watch Netflix and don't actually go on any dates, nothing is going to change. So yes. Yeah. I love the importance of the affirmations and actions. O Oprah always said, pray and move your feet. Mm -hmm. you know, I love we we got to do both. We got to do both. Um, so you and I could talk forever. I'm aware <laughs> of that. Um, uh, but I want to ask you what would be just like one, one starting tip for someone who maybe is realizing, okay, I know what I'm doing is not working. I need to start changing my relationship with money. What's like one thing that they could implement pretty easily? Do an audit of your relationship. So write down how you feel now about money. And so I think I'm going to blink on her name today. I'm just like losing all of my train of thoughts. Um, but it's, um, the book is called you are a badass at making money. Oh, I have that on my Yes, shelf. it's Jen, I forget her. Jen Sincero. Sincero, yes. Um, so that book and then her book after that was really great too. But um, that was one of the first books I read too, which was like very great. And so her money story exercise is good. And I don't know if she also does the love letter to money too. So I do both. Um, 
and this may be kind of difficult, but you have to do the money story exercise first, first because you don't know, again, you don't know where you're going and you don't, if you, if you haven't looked at what's going on. Yep. So I would really challenge you to create that awareness, whether it's your relationship with money or what your finances actually look like. And I know that's a hard step and it's, it's going to be hard for a lot of people, but that's really, you have to do that first step. Like that's the first thing you have to do. Otherwise you can create the best plan. You can have the best budgeting app. You can Mm -hmm. do all the things, but if you have not audited your mindset and your money habits, none of that's really going to matter. So it's kind of like a two part of what I would suggest, even though it's hard. And it makes sense because it's, you know, it's where I start people out Mm -hmm. in the program is the relationship inventory. We look at all your past relationships and your current relationships. So it makes total sense to me. And I think you have to make time for this because so many people that are listening, they're not actually going to do it. So we are going to lovingly challenge you, put this in your calendar Take yourself, I have what I call money dates. It's something I uh-huh. do where I pair it with a beverage, my favorite music, and I'm like pulling up all my accounts and it's it's a money date with myself. I used to always hate it, but obviously as time has gone on, I have a healthy relationship with money and now I enjoy those times. Um, so, so anyways, take yourself on a money date. Do what Ali said and go put this in your calendar right now. We're going to hold you accountable. And even if you like to buy a cup cup of coffee, wow, I am just stumbling on our words today. Um, Even if you like to go to like a fancy coffee shop and get your cup of coffee, spend the $5 or the $7 now because of inflation and buy your cup of coffee, sit yourself down and just be like, I have like released the judgment that you have and just be as loving as you can and just say, this is just information that I'm getting. It's yes. not, it's not who I am. It's not, my self-worth is not tied to this. It's just information and make it fun because if it's not fun, you're not going to do it. It's so true. When we think about habit stacking and all the research on that, you have to pair That's one it of my with, favorite books. <laughs> right? You have to pair it with something you enjoy. You got to pair it with something you enjoy and something you do on a regular basis. Um, Such a good tip. I hope all of you do it. Um, And I just want to say, no matter where you're at, just just start to Mm -hmm. anyone listening. Like no matter where you are, it's never too late. You know, just just take take the first step. They are chiming in. They also want to say, just start. (laughs) They're very excited about this tip. Yes. Yes. I love it. Um, Allie, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I ask every guest this, well, actually, before we get into that, can you tell people how they can connect with you and how they can find you if they want more information? Yeah. So, um, I'm at the underscore debt free nurse on Instagram and TikTok are the two that I mostly hang out on. Um, and then my website is www.savingwithoutsacrifice.com. Um, I have tons of freebies. I give tons of like free education. Maybe one day I'll have a podcast. Thanks to you. <laughs> I am going to coach um, you. But on that's that. it for Absolutely. now. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, and we'll put all that in the show notes as well. So you can connect with Allie. I know people really appreciated you sharing your relationship story and then us talking about money. So, so much wisdom in this episode. Um, one thing I always ask people when they come on is what they would say to someone if they were asked their best life advice of the moment. So you have a random person walking up to you as you're walking down the street and they say, what's your best life advice? What would you say? Stop waiting for other people to do the things that you want to do. Ooh, I love that. That's very empowering. So as a closing, um, I have always wanted to see the fall leaves in North Carolina. I've lived here for eight years and have never gone. I've asked people to go with me. So last weekend I went with my dogs and we went and saw the fall colors and it was amazing. And I'm so glad I got to cross that off my bucket list. And I just, one of the things that I started when I was divorced was like, I'm going to stop like waiting on people to do the things that I want to do. And I have now lived my life since then doing that. That's beautiful. It's so true. I, I think about that with travel so much of like, if there's somewhere you want to go, just go. I went to Guatemala by myself in my early twenties and worked in an orphanage. And, you know, that was just such a meaningful time in my life. And if I had waited for someone to go with me, I would have never done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that also goes back to remember you get to love yourself first and you get to show up for yourself first and you can create how you want to feel for yourself. And then if you have a partner or you have friends, it's great. They can add to that. Mm-hmm. But we never want to be waiting for other people to make us feel how we want to feel, right? True. Yeah. So good, Allie. I know we Thanks. can keep talking, but I just want to thank you for being an incredible guest on the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I'm going to keep you accountable as well on a couple things. The letter writing having a podcast of your own one day. So anyways, I'm so excited to just keep in touch with you. And thanks again for coming on. Thank you. I know we're wishing everyone high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.